Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at Acts chapter 7, verses 37 through 53. Stephen had been arrested and was giving his defense to the charges brought against him. We pick up his defense beginning with verse 37 which reads, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush? He brought them out, after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, and in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, as as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship, and, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, The Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now become the betrayers and murderers. You have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So, verse 35 marks the beginning of the turning of Stephen's argument. In verses 35 through 36, he pointed out that the Jews had initially rejected Moses, but later accepted him as their deliverer and leader. 
What set Moses apart was that, just like Abraham and Joseph, God had specifically chosen him and, and he was called for this specific, significant work of delivering his people. Verse 37 quotes briefly from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, where Moses affirmed that one day God would give to them another prophet who was like Moses, only greater, and that he was the one they were to listen to and obey. So let's go back and read that passage out of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Israel had waited down through the generations for the appearance of the promised prophet. Then one day, a few men suddenly realized that he had come. We read about this in John chapter 1. It reads this way. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They had recognized that Jesus was the promised prophet, the promised holy one that was to come. Later, while on a trip to Samaria, Jesus affirmed that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy when he spoke to the woman at the well. As we break into that story, beginning with uh, John chapter 4, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 
And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. From the words of his own mouth, Jesus affirms that he is the promised Messiah, the Christ, that he is the promised prophet, that he is the one that God promised to send to redeem them from their sin. In the passage of De- in Deuteronomy, Moses said that God would put his words in that prophet's mouth, and he, and he shall speak to them all that God commanded him. So in John chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said this, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. From Jesus' own words, we understand that he was the one sent from God to do the work of God and to speak all that God told him to say and do. That is why on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said to Peter, James, and John, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. But because of the hardness of heart, the very people Jesus revealed himself to rejected him and crucified him. They had made Moses, the law, and the temple of such great importance that their eyes were blinded to the fulfillment of the prophecy, the law, and the glorious one who filled the temple with his own presence. The Apostle John writes this in his Gospel account, chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So Stephen pressed on with his argument. And he reminded the men before him that 
Although Moses had been chosen and sent by God to deliver the nation of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt, which he did by performing ten miraculous signs as judgment against the nation, by leading them through the Red Sea on dry land, and through a miracle of bread from heaven, manna to feed them every day, and so many other miraculous events until the day that they arrived at Mount Sinai. It was there that the entire nation heard God's voice speaking to them the Ten Commandments. Then God called Moses up the mountain to speak to him the entire law and to give him the two tablets of stone on which God himself wrote the Ten Commandments. So Moses ascended the mountain, and he was there forty days. However, it was during that time that the people became restless. They were already tired of eating the manna that God had provided. Actually, did you know that in the Psalms, manna is described as the food of angels? Just imagine. Anyway. They began to think about the other foods that they had enjoyed in Egypt and began to wish that they were back there. They began to believe that God had forgotten them and Moses had abandoned them. So they devised a plan. Let's build ourselves a golden calf. This they made with their own hands and set it up on a pedestal and began to worship it with all of the pagan rituals and sexual acts that accompany the worship of idols. How quickly they forgot the mighty power that they had been eyewitnesses to when the sea parted and they escaped the power of their enemy. How quick they were to turn back to idolatry and wickedness. What arrogance to turn away from the true and living God whose voice they had heard to a God that they had fashioned with their own hands. This people had rejected God, Moses, and the law. Yes, the law. Because when they fashioned and worshipped the golden calf, they broke the first two commandments that they had heard God speak just a few days earlier. That they are to worship God and God alone and that they are not to create any graven image. So, Regarding this disgusting outcome, one commentator makes the following observation. Stephen's reference to Israel's failures in the wilderness should have caused an alarm to go off in the minds and hearts of the Jewish council members. Imagine the suffering they could have avoided if the Jews in the wilderness had not instigated the incident with the golden calf. Imagine the consequences if God had granted their silly wish to return to Egyptian bondage. How unfortunate that the Jewish leaders did not realize through Stephen's words their own propensity for foolish unbelief. How tragic that they did not turn away from their history, that when we reject God's will and resist the leadership of his appointed servants, we consign ourselves to lives of misery. So in response to their rebellion and rejection of God and his servant, 
Verse 42 of our passage says that God gave them over to worship whatever they wanted. This nation would struggle with their devotion to God versus their devotion to the idols of the nations around them. They would go back and forth in their devotion. God's love was so great that whenever they would repent and turn back to him, he would forgive their sin and restore them, once again delivering them from their enemies, blessing their crops, making them prosper among the nations of the known world. However, it would not be long before they would once again turn to and worship the gods of their own making and their own imagination. This pattern continued for centuries until finally there was nothing more to be done and God had to give them over to the Babylonian captivity. And it was during that time that they were finally cured of their idolatries. In verse 42, Stephen quotes from Amos chapter 5. Let's read that passage again. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the Proverbs. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Just so you know, Molech and Remphan were planetary deities. Molech was an Ammonite god associated with child sacrifice, and Remphan was a god borrowed from Egypt, and their worship practices were horrific. I can't even imagine how how awful that those that time period had to have been. However, the prophecy in Amos 5 makes it clear that the reason why Israel was sent into their Babylonian captivity was because of the sin with the golden calf that took place while Moses was on Mount Sinai meeting with God and receiving the law and the exact blueprints for the tabernacle. This sin was never fully dealt with, and that is why it kept rising up down through the generations. We need to understand sin must be dealt with, and the sooner the better, or it will raise its ugly head again and again and again. I like the perspective that Warren Wearsby brings to this. He writes, God's law was given to the Jews to protect them from the pagan influence around them and to enable them to enjoy the blessings of the land. It was the law that made them a holy people different from the other nations. And when Israel broke down that wall of distinction by disobeying God's law, they forfeited the blessing of God and had to be disciplined. This is always the way of God. He desires to give us good and gracious gifts. He's given us Jesus. And through Jesus, the blessings of forgiveness, 
spiritual rebirth. We are made sons and daughters of God, the promise of everlasting life, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if we reject him, if we refuse to receive this gift, this precious gift of Jesus, he will give us up to our own desires and our own way. He will not force us to worship him, even though he knows that our rejection of him will bring us harm, destruction, and death. The choice is in our hands. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief does not come to accept to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Well, Stephen moved on to address the rest of the charges laid against him, God in the temple. And he began by quoting from Psalm 10 that accurately states the fact that God is too big to be housed in a temple. As Wearsby correctly writes, Moses built the tabernacle and God's glory graciously dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Solomon built the temple and once again God's glory came in. But over the years, the worship at the temple degenerated into mere religious formality and eventually there were idols placed in the temple. Yes, it is true. God does not live in a building. But now, because of Jesus, God dwells within the hearts of every believer, even as the Bible states in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? So it is at this point, looking them square in the eye, Stephen boldly states, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. These men had brought Stephen to accuse him. But they were the ones who stood before Stephen, accused by their own actions and stubbornness, rebellion, pride, self-righteousness. In their hardness of heart, they had killed the prophets of God that God had sent to them down through the years, sent to speak to them his word. And they had killed Jesus, the one who is greater than Moses, greater than the law, greater than the temple. Dr. John Stott makes the following observation. Stephen's speech was not so much a self-defense as a testimony to Christ. His main theme was positive, that Jesus the Messiah had come to replace the temple and fulfill the law which both bore witness to him. As John Calvin put it, no harm can be done to the temple and the law when Christ is openly established as the end and truth of both.
Stephen's defense had been very sobering to consider. Clearly, it was directed to the spiritual leadership before him and also to the pattern of the nation for generations. However, the lesson is also good for us to consider. As I've stated in previous lessons, Egypt in Scripture represents our life before Jesus. It is a place of bondage, slavery, cruelties, idolatries, and sufferings. It was a place of death, a life without hope. It was a place of condemnation. It was a land where the people worshipped idols and gods of their own making. These gods were powerless to help or to save. I love the way Psalm 115 makes a comparison between our true and living God and the idols of man's making. The psalmist writes this, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord both small and great. I urge you, my dear friend, to put your trust fully in the true and living God. Call out to the one who died for you, who is willing to forgive and cleanse and save you. The promise written in the Bible is true. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just just to forgive you and cleanse you from all your sin. Turn away from the idols of your own making and turn to the one who has the power to raise you up and make you his own beloved child. Call out to him today. Call him by name, Jesus, and he will answer you with mercy and grace. Dear Lord Jesus, we do call out to you. We come before you and confess that we are sinners. And we ask, O oh God, that you would forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are Savior and you are Lord. And we desire to make you the Lord of our life. 
We want to follow you and serve you and obey you. We want to know you more. Teach us your word. Teach us who you are. Teach us how to live in righteousness and in holiness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for hearing our prayer. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, may you be blessed by the God who loves you and has saved you. And may you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.